The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Yo, hey there. Welcome to another fun, exciting, action-packed edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny. Or Lloyd, or whatever the fuck my name is. How are you guys? I hope this podcast finds you well. This episode, I'm really excited to bring to you guys. It's uh, interesting. My guest is a former cop out in Utah who is now an actor, and he has a crazy story about how that happened. It is a cautionary tale, but I think one that will have a happy ending. But before we get into the podcast, we got to give big, huge, awesome thanks to our good friends over at Officer Privacy. Dot com. They've been providing each and every single one of the Sunday podcasts of the Poorly Made Police podcast for a long time now. If you, uh, you're not a regular listener, you don't know what officer privacy is all about, or maybe you've forgotten since last week, let me tell you. Your information is online. Google search your name in the city you live in, and you will be shocked and awed how much information is just there for the taking. I don't know about you guys. I don't like that. I like to have a little bit of privacy in my life. I don't want evildoers knowing my address. And if you're a cop in these trying times, you know that can be problematic. Whether you're involved in one of these cases where you're thrown under the bus, even though you did the right thing. Or some guy sees your name tag, decides to Google you, doesn't like cops, comes to your house and causes problems. We've had stories on the podcast where guys have had protests on their door. You don't want that. We've all seen the stories, right? We are inching closer to another election cycle. I hope I am wrong, but it could be more of the same. So that's why it's important to take your privacy back. And what Officer Privacy does, they remove your information from these people search sites. So the these evildoers, they don't have your address. You may ask yourself, how does OfficerPrivacy.com work? Well, they have two simple ways. A do-it-yourself option. They tell you exactly what to do, give you the tools to do it, and you just take your information off by yourself. Or be like me, the premium service. Their team of former and current law enforcement officers based in the United States remove your information, and then guess what? They monitor that information. Your name happens to pop up again. They take it right back off. Peace of mind. I don't have to think about it. I filled out the form one time and they continue to monitor my privacy. So check them out, officerprivacy.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's play a little bit of some weekend picnic. 
And if you're a long-time listener to the podcast, you know the lead singer has been on the podcast. And we'll be right back with the actor. All right, now coming to you straight from Hollywood, the most handsome man on the Walk of Fame, not yet, but soon, I have Kyle. How are you, buddy? Great. How are you doing? I am doing good. Now, people that heard that introduction must have been thinking, what the fuck? Kyle here. Kyle here was a cop, and now he's an actor, and he sent me a message the other day, and it's a crazy fucking story, and I was like, I got to talk to this dude, so here we are. Here we are. Before we get into anything, are you having anything to drink tonight? I am actually. Um, yes, I'm. Like I said, I'm. I'm from Utah in my DM, but uh, we'll we'll clear it up right away. I'm not not Mormon, but I am drinking a little bit of Bullet whiskey. How is Bullet whiskey? I've never heard of it. It's pretty good. It's uh, Kentucky whiskey. It's just Bullet bourbon, um, and I've I actually found some like simple syrup in my cupboard when I was grabbing it earlier. And so I mixed that up. It's like a, like an apple cinnamon with some orange in it. So it's actually a pretty good little drink. That is a very bougie. Like you had me at the whiskey and then like all of a sudden, like I got the, the syrup and I was like, ah, he's, he's from LA. Yeah, no, no. My girlfriend's dad's a bartender. So uh, I've had a lot of experience and practice over the last year or so. I'm sure that definitely has its uh, benefits. I am. Uh, I'm not drinking. I'm on my little sabbatical here, but soon. All good. All good. All right. So we got to get right into it. Mm-hmm. So let's let's learn a little bit about you. How did you end up in Utah, and why did you get into law enforcement? Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of the cliche story. I was originally from Bend, Oregon. Uh, I grew up there. While I was living there, my dad was a police officer for the city of Bend and also Deschutes County. Um, he, you know, it's it's funny because I, I almost carbon copied his career. Almost. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, yeah, so he started in dispatch, worked his way into being a, a city cop and then with the county. Um, so as a kid, I always, you know, saw my dad in his uniform most of the time. Saw his cop car, would sit in it and literally was that kid that like, clicked on the lights for the first time. and was like, this is what I'm going to do someday. Um, so then fast forward. Yeah. About mm, eight or nine years from that point, I ended up in Utah for uh, when my dad got out of law enforcement and he went into like computer forensics. So we transitioned over to Utah at that point. I grew up, finished high school in Utah, um, ended up in Southern Utah for college down at Dixie state. And after that, uh, got hired on at the sheriff's office and kind of started my, my own career. So coming from Oregon to mm-hmm. Utah as a teenager, was it culture shock or was it pretty much the same? Or I'm, I'm curious about that because Utah does kind of have a, a reputation. <laughs> yes. And it is well-earned as a reputation, but no. So it was a huge culture shock because I actually went from Oregon uh, to West Virginia first. Sorry, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but um, did you yeah, say? Wait a second. Did you say West Virginia? Yep. Yep. Morgantown, West Virginia. Now that is uh, interesting. 
So, I mean, Oregon to West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, oh, you yeah. didn't mention West Virginia, but yeah. Now that yes. is a culture I mean, shock. Oregon too. to West Virginia is its own culture shock. And then West Virginia to Utah was, was a whole different one. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I love West Virginia. I would still, I'd go back there today and live if I could work remotely. And, you know, I mean, the dream is eventually to find enough success out here in LA to, to be able to set up shop somewhere like that. And, you know, fly out here to work, film stuff, and then go back there to live. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up in West Virginia after Oregon. And then about three years later, ended up in Utah. But yeah, as a teenager, I mean, it was, it's hard enough. I think when you move at that age, anywhere, switching schools and, you know, friend groups, things like that. But the Utah thing added a whole different dynamic to it that I don't really know how I could have prepared for but looking back, I'm, I'm really grateful for it because it, you know, it helped me find some of the closest friends that, that I have today. And, and I'm still in contact with, um, actually a guy that I moved out to LA with is a kid that I grew up in Utah with through high school and middle school and stuff. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if it's quite the same thing. And I've mentioned it, I think when my brothers were on the podcast, but we moved from Metro Denver out to the middle of nowhere in Colorado. Yeah. And at first I was pissed as a high schooler, but then looking back on it, it was like the best thing I think that could ever happen to me. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I feel the exact same way about Utah. You basically, your drive is a lot like a lot of ours is your dad was a cop. So you wanted Mm -hmm. to do the same thing. So you get into law enforcement. Were you pretty young when you started? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I just turned 22. Do you feel, and we'll get, this will probably make this question will make more sense later, but do you feel that, you were too young to get started or did you feel you were mature enough at the time? Hmm. I mean, honestly, me personally, I feel like I was ready and and mature enough. I've always kind of been a little bit of an old soul anyway. Uh, Most of my friends through high school and uh, throughout college and stuff were always a bit older than me. Um, But the biggest reason was just my dad. I mean, I, I hit about 16 and that was when I, I thought about like physical therapy and a couple of different careers and including law enforcement. But once I hit about 16, that was when I really locked it in and was like this, you know, it's time to pretty much go tunnel vision and just focus solely on law enforcement. And once, um, once my dad realized he couldn't talk me out of it, he kind of took it on himself to make sure I was as prepared and as, as safe as I could be going into it, which I'm extremely grateful for because that, you know, it paid off in so many ways throughout my uh, short law enforcement career. But, uh, but for that reason, yeah, I feel like I was very ready when I went in at 22. Why did your dad not want you to be a cop? Oh man, I'm sure it's the same reason nobody wants their son to be a cop. Just the stress, the danger, the, you know, the potential for like divorce and, and injury, burnout, um, you know, different things like that. Substance abuse typically can happen with you know careers like that more than more so than like physical therapy but um i think i don't know i mean i'm sure at some level too as a father you just worried for my safety you know like any parent probably would but um but yeah no i mean i'm very grateful that and he was very blunt about me with that too growing up was like you know it's you're not gonna make a lot of money you're not gonna necessarily make a lot of friends but it is rewarding work and it's something that you kind of have to commit your life to while you're doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think pretty much any of those reasons would be why he wouldn't want me to do it as far as the safety and, and stress and lifestyle. So you get hired on 
-hmm. was it sunshine and rainbows when you started or how was the initial part of your career? Um, well, I mean, I'll, a little bit about the hiring process that definitely wasn't sunshine and rainbows. I mean, I tested, Oh man. I mean, I was a kid who felt super ready. I was like, get me in a car. I'm ready to go. And it still took me over a year just to get hired. Um, just cause it was kind of a smaller area. I was in Southern Utah in uh, St. George. So it's oh, very, I love St. George. Yeah. You've been there. Oh yeah. I got, I got a story about St. George. Okay. But I, I basically had a van breakdown over there. Good time. But <laughs> awesome. go on. Yeah, I was with uh, I was with Washington County. That was where I worked. So Okay. That, that and, whole area. And I'm not familiar with the counties out there, but mm-hmm. is that the county that I Pretty assume St. George whole is area. the county seat? Okay. Yep. Yep. It goes from the state line in Nevada, um, all the way to the state line of Arizona, um, all the way through like Zion National Park up to almost Cedar City, if you know where that is. I know where Cedar City is too. Okay. Wow. That is a, that's a pretty big fucking County, man. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, it's, I think the the exact number is like 320 some square miles. Um, my area on the West side was about a hundred, about half that is about 140 some square miles. Okay. Yeah. It's a decent size, but so you get hired through there Were you on mm-hmm. patrol or did you have any special assignments? You know, so I, I started, um, and like I mentioned before, I think in my DM as well, I, I started through dispatch because I actually couldn't get hired. Um, there just wasn't, there's too many people and not enough jobs. And it's shocking, I know, looking at law enforcement today. But at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of openings and there was a lot of people trying to get in. And so once I had kind of gone through the rounds of every agency and wasn't getting picked up. I was like, well, what can I do to kind of make myself more hireable? So I went dispatch and I did that for about six months and and loved it. It had so many benefits as well for just learning, you know, the radio codes, the 10 codes, the areas, the just so much about it. But um, after that, I got on with the sheriff's office and started in the jail. So I did uh, about six months in the jail and then moved out to patrol. How was the jail experience for you? Because I know a lot of agencies start people out in the jail. Did you Mm -hmm. think that was good for being out on the street or could you do without? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally understand when people just go straight to patrol and I don't think that's necessarily better or worse. But I will say my time in the jail, I learned a lot about just how to talk to people, how to kind of interact with them on on that inmate level. Um, and obviously, you know, recidivism is, is what it is. People are going to go in and out, um, in their respective areas, but just getting to know the people faces with names, you know, kind of who their family is, who their friends are, who they hang with that paid off so much in the long run on patrol. I'm trying to run through the numbers here. So people kind of get a little bit of an idea for your career. Mm -hmm. So how long were you on patrol for? Uh, just under four years. Okay. And any other special assignments, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I was a defensive tactics coordinator or went through the defensive tactics coordinator course. um, And then was, you know, I'd help out with our defensive tactics stuff. I was also, um, I think it's a a nationwide thing, but like NCIC and all that stuff. Uh, We called it Eusegis in Utah, but the, it's essentially BCI. Um, I was the the liaison between our department and them. So I did a lot with that. And that was something I got purely off my dispatch experience. 
just with being familiar with like NCIC and all the BCI mumbo jumbo, I guess you could call it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I did that as well. And then I also taught the PT program at the academy run through the college. Okay. I, I was get just real quick on the NCIC thing. I hated mm-hmm. that fucking test. You have to take every like what two oh, years yeah, or the, something like, like that. The, yeah, the research. It's like I don't fucking know what like the proper facts page is. <laughs> Fuck off. How does this relevant yeah. to me? But apparently it is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that yeah, you just you never you're learning it and you're like, I'm never gonna use this. And then of course you run into like the straight van in the middle of nowhere where it's it comes back with a hit and you gotta be able to interpret it from uh sorry am i allowed to swear i don't know if i'll uh oh no do all do everything okay. you want all right just checking but yeah i was gonna say like when you run into some fucking van in the middle of nowhere and you get like hit comes out of like california those are always the worst ones to read but, but yeah you just never know when you'll use it so we all know you were a cop you liked mm-hmm. it you enjoyed it yeah i, I don't want to skip too far ahead to the mm-hmm. to the, the dark times what we're gonna call them yeah. Okay. But you had mentioned in your messages, um, there may have been an issue with a female, and then it may have led to poor choices. Do I have mm-hmm. that kind of right? Mm-hmm. Well, you want to tell your story with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so again, I was I was 22 when I started the job, just barely turned 22. And, you know, like most 22-year-old young men. I was in the dating game and in Utah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge if you're not a part of the the predominant community there, the Mormons. Um, real quick, I love, you know, I got tons of friends that are Mormons. My, my cop buddies all listen to your podcast. They're probably listening right now. They're all, a lot of them are Mormon and they're awesome people. So I'll just say that real quick. But as a 22 year old single male, non-Mormon, it was pretty rough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I ended up, it's actually kind of funny. I ended up meeting this particular girl through a friend of mine who works in clerical at the sheriff's office. And yeah, she just kind of set us up. We we went and hung out at like a pool party and hit it off. And uh, shortly after we were kind of a thing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, pretty casual for a while. And then things start to got kind of in that, you know, undefined zone of what is this? What isn't it? And to the point where eventually we just started essentially staying at each other's places. You know, we both had pretty busy schedules with work and, and other commitments. So it worked out for a while to just kind of be more casual about it. But but yeah, we eventually started kind of becoming more of a thing and, um, you know, hanging out with our friends, things like that. But uh, but yeah, that did eventually lead into what would later cause the dark times. So how did she lead into the dark times? I guess essentially association. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say I would have done things different or not done things different later on based on if I was with her or someone else. I may have done the exact same thing. Who knows? But um, her specifically, it was just she was big into that stuff. Um, she, She was a big partaker of recreational drugs and you know, prescription drugs, things like that. I didn't know that all at the time when we got involved, but would later find all that out. Um, which honestly, like I said, at 22 years old, for better or worse, I really didn't care. I was like, Hey, as long as that stuff's not around me, do your thing, whatever. It doesn't affect my life. I just can't have it in my house. I can't be around it. 
and she was cool with that. Like she respected that. Um, and so that was kind of the situation for the first seven, eight months or so while we were with each other. Which I, I think probably that right there, uh, I think could be a cautious tale to young guys because yes, it's flawed logic because I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a dick. I think, you know, this no, too, no, like, in retrospect, it. but yeah. it's, you know, like you meet a girl, you like her, she's hot. And you're like, fuck yeah. And you're like, you, you look past some things because you're like, ah, she's hot. And she's cool. And she likes me. Yeah. Um, 20 year old brain works that way very well. But then as you get a little older, you're like, yeah, she's hot. She's cool. She likes me, but she's going to get me in fucking trouble because at some point this is going to come to a head kind of yeah. thing. But you don't, oh, yeah. it's easy to see that with other people, but I don't think it's so easy to see with yourself. Definitely not. No, I, I mean, Looking back, like I'm in a very, very healthy relationship now, which I'm really grateful for, but it, it took all of that bullshit to get there. And and looking back, like I'll still look back and be like, damn, like that was such a red flag that I totally ignored. And like now it would be a huge deal breaker, you know, before even going into a relationship. See, boys, you got you're you're going to be the. um I don't know the right word for this, but the, the sacrificial lamb right yeah, here. Yeah, I was going to say the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, the martyr. Yeah, that's such a cop term, the sacrificial <laughs> lamb. So you eventually you end up going to a party with her out of state, right? Yes. What happens at the party? Mm-hmm. So it was a New Year's Eve party in Las Vegas. At this time, uh, this would have been 2018. Yeah, 2018. So marijuana is obviously legal in Vegas. Edibles are legal recreational. You can go to the store and buy them. Um, so, yeah, we had some time off. We worked 12, so we had like three days on, three days off, two days on, two days off, that kind of thing. Um, so I had the long weekend coming up. I had a three-day weekend, and she had some friends in Vegas that we were also friends with. Kind of we'd go double date and stuff like that. Um, and so she's like, hey, let's go to this person's house. We'll they just want to have us over and we'll have some drinks, play some cards, you know, just keep it pretty chill. So I was like, yeah, it sounds good. Went over on like a Friday night, stayed down there and um, yeah, hung out at the house. We're having just a little like kickback, whatever you want to call it. Went and got some drinks, went and uh, at one point stopped by the old uh, dispensary store and picked up some some treats there. Where'd you learn that, uh, Drugs cool. Yeah. Uh, exactly but uh yeah i mean it does not that it matters i didn't buy any of it but because i was yeah it obviously doesn't matter but uh but yeah we went there and went back to the house and then yeah the night progressed we played some cards had some drinks and eventually uh yeah i had i think it was two edibles and then later it was it's funny you play the cheech and chong it was literally like that 70s show moment we were in this garage with four of us passing a joint around and I being the Utah, you know, straight edge son of a cop kid that I was. And honestly, this was the first time I'd ever done any, any weed ever, which might sound kind of ridiculous, but first time. And so, you know, I'd kind of been drinking a little bit too. And so you don't really feel the effects as much while you're got a little buzz going, you know, it just kind of feels more like a buzz in my opinion, but, um, wasn't really feeling it. So we had, yeah, I had two edibles and then we went in the garage, passed the joint around and 
in that moment, they're all passing it around. It came to me. I knew what I was doing was not going to end well with my career in that moment as that was, I had a straight lucid moment for maybe it was 10 seconds where it's just like, you know, I definitely shouldn't be here. I don't know, you know, how I ended up here, but, but fuck it. That was when I kind of made that choice as well. And, um, but the funny thing is I took the joint and I put it in my mouth and I'd never smoked a joint before. Right. So I didn't know what I was doing and I'd never even smoked cigarettes. And so I like inhaled it, but I didn't, I didn't inhale it. I like sucked in on the joint. Right. But I didn't inhale it. I didn't smoke it per se. And so I just blew the smoke out and passed it on, which is going to come in. Uh, it's a key point later on in this, this whole journey. But, but yeah, I was just kind of like that, that weird kid that was like, Oh yeah, I, I'm going to look cool and, and pretend like I'm doing this with all these cool kids. But whether it be because I didn't want to do it or I, I just didn't, you know, I'd never done it before. wasn't comfortable with it on some level. I wasn't comfortable with it. So I didn't inhale it. I didn't, you know, take the smoke in or whatever you have to do. I don't even know what the hell it's called to like get high off the joint, but, but yeah, I just kind of puffed it and passed it along. And that was that. So how did it come to light with your department? Yeah. So that, that was, <laughs> Also interesting. So I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And if you're ever unsure of anything, just at the end of the day, if you can look in the mirror and you can be honest and just tell the truth, everything is eventually going to work out. It might take a fucking long time, but eventually it'll all work out for the best. And so I, this fast forward about two months from that New Year's Eve party, things got really, really bad with me and this girl um, to the point where we we broke it off and and started just doing our own thing. I'd actually found out from a buddy of mine stopping her that she was under investigation for like retail theft and a bunch of other stuff that I, I had no idea. I was a good little Boy Scout. I never ran her while I dated her. Also a good lesson. Don't ever do that. <laughs> yeah, do not do that, kids. Um, everyone would always ask me, you know, have you ran her? I, no, of course not. You know, and in hindsight, it would have saved a lot of trouble if I did. But but I did. But it still got in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I, I still would have. Yes. But I'm, I'm saying like I may not have even gotten involved with her in the first place if I'd looked at yeah. her involvements. But um, but yeah, so my buddy stopped her one night, called me up. He's like, hey, man. You dating this girl? I was like, yep, that's her. He's like, well, just so you know, she's under investigation for like three cases with St. George PD. And I was like, oh, thank you. So that was kind of the start of the end, I guess. I, you know, brought it up with her and we we talked about all of it. Another red flag. I, I kind of listened to what she was telling me and just figured it was a misunderstanding. Should have been a point to walk away, but I didn't. And then a few weeks later, we it, things got a lot worse and blew up and we both just kind of stop talking to each other went our own ways but um but yeah so fast forward after that i was just miserable in southern utah it's a beautiful area but i was not happy there i was just seeing her everywhere she lived in the area that i patrolled and as luck would have it we'd had a lot of car break-ins in her neighborhood right about the same time we broke up so our our chief and you know admin was 
really focusing on that area, telling us, hey, make sure you're doing your patrols there. You know, we've had a lot of break-ins, things like that. So just make a presence known. And I straight up told my sergeant, I was like, hey, this is going on with me and this girl. She lives on this street right here. If possible, can you move me over to the east side, you know, for a while? Or can I just like, just so you know, like, I'm not going to be hanging out here a whole lot. And they were all really cool with that, which I really respect and appreciate. But long story short, I was miserable. And so I was looking for ways out at the time. Uh, my buddy that I mentioned that I grew up with in Utah was in the army. And by the way, he says you're a mean God. He told me to tell you that. He, oh, uh, I wouldn't go that far. Just the Lord. All right. Yeah, Lord, I'll I tell appreciate that. it. Yeah, he, uh, he ran a meme page for a while in his his uh, infantry unit. And so he, he's he got a good judge of that stuff. But, but no, I told him I'd tell you that. But anyway, um, he was about ready to get out. He just deployed and come back and was looking to get out of the army after his contract was up. And the timing was just perfect. I mean, I was going through all this stuff within about a couple months of him getting out. So we were talking, we're like, Hey, what are we doing? Let's, let's go live somewhere together. Like, why are we both, he was in Alaska at the time at uh, the army base there. And I was in Utah. We're just like, where should we go? And he's from California originally. And I'd obviously wanted to kind of get into acting most of my life. That was another career I'd always wanted to do, but never really seriously pursued or considered um, but I was in the back of my mind, I think at that point kind of thinking, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to go to LA and maybe try that. But that was really all the thought I'd given it at that point. So we just decided to go to um, California. We were looking at like Carlsbad, which is where he's from. We were looking at a couple other spots, but at the end of the day, we both wanted the action excitement. I was probably 25, almost 26 at this time. He's about the same. So we're still looking to get into the stuff. And so we were like, well, let's go test with LAPD. I'm like, all right. So I actually set it up, did the whole background packet, got everything filled out, the lateral transfer papers, um, had the whole packet ready for the expedited process, made a trip out, took three days and went around to LA, kind of hung out, did the whole testing thing, which is awesome. They crammed everything into like two and a half days, which is insane. But um, yeah, I went out, did the PT test, did the interviews, the panels, the the background investigation. And then on that background packet, there's that question that says, have you ever used any recreational drugs? Yes or no. If yes, what was it? What date was it? Um, things like that. And I mean, I'm sure I, I'm preaching to the choir here, but like if you lie, it's going to come out eventually, whether on a CVSA or a polygraph or an interview, like especially with bigger agencies like that, they deal with enough bullshit. They'll be able to see right through it. So I was like, well, I'm just going to be honest. It is what it is. It was legal. It was in Vegas. I was off, whatever. So I put it down and said, yeah, I've used, you know, edibles, smoked one joint on this date and time. I go through my interview with them and they come back and go, well, wait, you're currently a, a sheriff's deputy, right? And I was like, yeah, it's correct. And he's like, well, on here, this date says this was last year. You, you're, you were a sheriff's deputy when this happened, right? I was like, yeah, I was. Honesty is the best policy, right? Except not in this case. They told me to get the fuck out of here, go home. Uh, we don't want you. And the guy said, he's like, he's very specific. He's like, we will not report this to your agency. But just know that if you test with other agencies, they'll obviously find out because it'll come back. Like why, why you were dropped from our process, which was fine. I understood that. So I, I said, all right, went back to Utah. 
Um, and at this point, I mean, I had not to sound like an asshole, but like I'd had a pretty good career in Utah to this point. Like I was killing it as far as like stops. My stats were good arrests, things like that. Um, I just tested for the SWAT team. Like things were looking really good as far as my whole career outlook, you know, I had some collaterals, things like that. Um, graduated top of my class in Academy. So of course, when I come back, everyone's expecting like, Oh, when is he going to LA? Like word had gotten around and, you know, admin people like that were coming up to me, joking around like, Oh, well, when's your last day? And I was like, well, I actually didn't make it. And that was kind of where I left it with coworkers, things like that. I didn't get into it, but I realized, you know, my goal is still being getting out of Utah at some point it's going to come back. Like another hiring agency is going to find out from LA why I didn't get hired. And then that could come back to my agency and then be a whole big shit storm. So I thought it'd be better to just get ahead of it. Um, so, you know, one night I sat down with my sergeant who both sergeants I worked for were fucking phenomenal. They're awesome people. One's retired. Um, and the other one I'm still in regular contact with, but but yeah, I went and sat down with the guy and I was like, hey, so obviously, you know, I didn't get hired with L.A. This is why. Told him everything all the way from, you know, the the New Year's Eve party, how I got there, things like that, kind of that I've gone over with you. Um, just just laid it out there for him for like an hour. And he was awesome. He sat there and listened, gave me some, you know, input, some mentorship. And then at the end, obviously, he was like, well, because of what this is and our policies, I I do have to send this up the chain, which I expected, you know, it wasn't a shock to me. So I was cool with it and, and understood. And, um, yeah, it, it got sent to the Lieutenant and from there it turned into, yeah, an IA. And, uh, that's where everything kind of started to spiral downward at that point. Did they take you off the road immediately when you said that, or were you still working? No, no I was still working. I think that's because, what they did do, I will say, so I was on, I was coming up on a couple of days off, coincidentally, after I told my sergeant that. So the next day I went to the drug clinic, they had me do a, uh, you know, a piss test. And had I come back positive, I, I would have been taken off the road immediately. Yes. But because I was negative and, and I told them, you know, I have, I did it one time. It was December. We're looking at like late February, early March at this point. And so they were like, all right, you're negative. You're good. Like you can keep working, do your thing. And that was in the, until it turned into an IA. So how did the IA process go for you? Oh, it was hell. It's, it's awful. <laughs> um, which is funny because your, your memes, a lot of the ones about the IAs are the ones that I would just fucking laugh out loud at dude. Like I'd be sitting at my desk at work and just, just hysterically laughing because I could relate so hard to it. But um, it's funny too, at a smaller agency, we only had like 36, 37 guys on the road, including admin. Um, so I, I knew everybody, right? Like I knew exactly who was doing my IA. He, he knew me, he trained me for a little bit. Um, so it's kind of that awkwardness, first of all, of just being in that situation where you have to do that job. But the overall process was just, it was awful. I don't hold anything against the guy who did it or any of the admin or anything like that, but it was just the process, right? Like it's just an uncomfortable, awkward fucking deal, no matter how you cut it, um, having to go in and, and step through everything and, and just, 
you know, all the hoops you got to jump through and and the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen on the other end of it. Um, obviously going into it, I was aware, I was aware when I told my sergeant the potential outcome, which is, is what ended up happening with me, you know, losing my job. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's awkward. It's not fun, but I went through all the motions and same thing. I mean, I, I was just like, no matter what happens, I'm just going to be fucking honest and, and we'll see how it shakes out at the end of it. Did you get fired for doing it not telling them or just for the sake of doing it or did they say you lied about something or what was the official reason for termination so that's where it gets interesting because um at the time i mean they they did <laughs> they let me resign i'm doing finger quotes right now <laughs> um so technically i did resign because they wanted to make sure that i would be able to potentially come back at some point um, which I had told him was, was my goal was to come back and work after I was, you know, went through whatever period or suspension I would potentially be looking at. And they were, they were all really cool about it. So the sheriff at the time was really understanding and cool. He was like, all right, well, we're not going to fire you. We're going to let you resign. That way another agency might pick you up down the road. Um, or even this one at some point, but, uh, yeah, so I resigned for the policy was for use of, uh, drugs essentially. So it wasn't the fact that I had done it and not told it wasn't anything like that. Um, it was just for the policy being that while you're employed by this agency, you can't, can't obviously be doing any of that, no matter if it's legal in another state or, or not. So how does Utah work as far as like certification go? Did that get revoked or no, or how's that all work? Um, so it was suspended. It's actually, it's, the suspension's up at this point, but, um, yeah, it went up to post. They did their own independent investigation regarding my certification. Um, that was obviously after the IA with my department, but yeah, post is the one that handles the certs up in uh, Salt Lake city in Utah. And that was, Oh my God, that was an even bigger nightmare. Just dealing with all that. I, I it was right when COVID hit too, when a lot was going on. So it took almost, a year and a half before everything was said and done. So I didn't even know really what the situation was for like a year and a half since it came out. But um, yeah, so post handled my certification. The department only handled my employment side of it. Okay. And did they take your certification or what ended up happening? Um, They suspended it for three years. So actually April 10th of this year, it, the suspension ended. So technically I could go work or go, test and be hired now if I wanted to, but, you know, life's kind of taking me a different direction, but, um, but yes, it was a three-year suspension. So before we move on to what you're doing now, I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about something you had said. Yeah. Sending the messages, which I thought was kind of interesting and, and true, honestly, is the fact that, you know, you have guys that are cheating on their spouses. You have guys that get DUIs, you have guys doing all this kind of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And they keep their job, but you had some Chiba. That's not what they call it. Do they call it Chiba? I don't fucking know. I don't know. I honestly I have no idea. You, you smoked a little pot, and yeah. you're uh, you're basically they let you resign instead of getting terminated, which was nice right. of them. But and you, you know you're you're yeah. you're to that point, right? So I think you know, like me personally. 
I give two shits about weed and what people do on their days off. But mm. I also know being a cop, there's rules you got to follow kind of thing. You violated a policy. It is what it is right. kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So I, I think we both acknowledge this wasn't the, the smartest thing you've ever done in your life, right? Yep, definitely not. But you have guys that get DUIs on duty yeah. and have their jobs. Oh, now, yeah. Granted, I can't say that happened in your agency, but we've heard about it. Um, right. We we all know about the uh, infidelity that goes on. Obviously, the people in Tennessee lost their job, but yeah, I think everybody that's worked in a police department has heard stories about people sleeping with other cops or sleeping with dispatchers or sleeping mm-hmm. with whoever, and they keep keep their jobs. I would yeah. argue breaking up a marriage or being unfaithful, and some people may disagree with me here, I, that that is worse than having a couple edibles and smoking a joint. Call <laughs> me crazy, though. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I mean, what? I don't know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I, I would be curious what you know, if people agree with me on that. And I think it's one of those things like we have as cops, we enforce the rules, quote unquote. So we better follow the rules. I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of always thought that, right? Like, yeah, I, here's a good example. Like I speed everywhere. Right. So I'm, I'm no perfect saint, yeah. but I, I don't speed and this doesn't make it right. Right. I'm not trying to justify <laughs> it, but like, I wouldn't, I don't speed faster than, I would pull somebody over for it unless I have to take a shit, then all, all bets are <laughs> off. But I mean, besides that, I really try not to do things that I would arrest people for. It seems like common sense. Yeah. Now we can talk about infidelities, not something you should arrest people for. I, I get mm-hmm. it. You know, we're not the moral yeah. police, but yeah, if it was my situation, if I was a boss, I'd be worried about it, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I would fire somebody for making one dumb decision if they right. had a stellar career, you know what I mean? Like, right. had you been in trouble before any IAs or anything like that? Never. No, I'd actually gotten a couple commendations was doing really well. When you first, you had to resign. Uh huh. When that day hit, what was your first initial thought? Like, what were your plans? Like what, 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 you, what were you going to do? I didn't have any. I mean, honestly, that, that day, sitting in in that office when they brought me in and and told me you know explained everything because i mean i was still holding on to hope at this point that i obviously knew that it was very likely that i could lose my job but i had had a negative drug test i had been straightforward and honest about everything i had the ex-girlfriend who had taken some action that one would say is almost vindictive against me so i mean quite honestly things looked pretty good like for me keeping my job. Um, but then when that time came, they pulled me in and said, Hey, you violated this policy. We, we absolutely, we have discretion for a lot of things, but not for that. You're done. I mean, it was awful, man. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit I sat there and fucking cried my ass off in, in the sheriff's office, the chiefs, lieutenants, my sergeant, they were all in there. And it, in some degree was, it was like a funeral. It was the, the death of a career, you know, of a kid's dream. And that was awful. And after that, you know, it's just you start the long, very painstaking process of turning in all your gear, signing everything back, your rifle, your car, my my lieutenant, um, both lieutenants came to my house and we had take home vehicles. 
So they came to my house. We had to go through an inventory, everything in my truck. And then they drove the truck away. And I was literally standing in my driveway, just like watching my brand new F-150 drive away, almost symbolic of like that stage of my life, you know, in my career. But it was awful. It sucked. But I mean, the benefit is we were understaffed at the time. So I had a lot of vacation hours that I was able to cash out. Um, you know, I, I, another lesson, I went tax exempt. If you, if this ever does happen, make sure you go tax exempt on that PTO check <laughs> to set yourself up a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, so I had a bit of a nest egg. I really didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I went through some dark times, like some actual very dark times. I, you know, I, uh, I was living with a new friend at that time. I kind of got a cheap deal on a room in his place. And so I was just basically staying in my room for about three or four days right after it happened. I didn't come out. I, I had about a two liter of, uh, Jack Daniels. I turned on the Punisher on Netflix and binged it and didn't come out till the episodes were done and the, the bottle was empty. Um, but after that, it was kind of like, all right, I've had my time to just sit and be miserable. Now it's time to get, get up and go back in the world. But um, I ended up working at a gym after that, just doing kind of menial front desk work. But but it was a good time. You know, I, I met some good people and they were really good to me at that point um, as far as just what I was going through. And because I just started the, the post investigation at that time. So I was making trips up to Salt Lake about once every month, doing interviews, doing meetings, things like that. I was uh, self-representing myself for that. So I didn't, you know, I was making all those trips, doing all those calls myself. Um, so that kept me pretty busy. And honestly, it was a nice distraction from just the the misery of it all. But, but yeah, I mean, overall, I was just kind of doing my thing at the gym part-time and, and just kind of sitting at home, working out, doing, you know, watching Netflix, not doing much. And that's, you know, that's why I'm very grateful for all my friends uh, both on my shift that I worked with, they all kept in regular contact with me. Um, you know, a lot of them actually follow your page and listen to the podcast as well. But um, yeah, I mean, that was the time that I really was leaning on those people. And like my buddy in Alaska at the time, you know, they, I wouldn't have gotten through it without all of them. So I wanted to jump back really quick. Cause you'd mentioned something uh, and maybe I missed it when you were talking, but about, uh, your ex doing something vindictive. What did she do? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just typical stuff, you know, like, Oh, this, uh, you know, it's his fault. Cause I, um, the first thing the guy asked when I started the IA with my department was who was at the party? What are their names? What are their contacts? And at this point I hadn't been in contact with that girl for about three to four weeks. So I knew it was just going to kick up some some drama and some bullshit. But obviously, I was in there to to tell the truth and to try and preserve my career. And so I, you know, I was honest about everything, gave all the names and who were all her friends and her. And so they were contacted. And I'm I'm sure I mean, I wasn't in contact with them at that time, but I can imagine it probably pissed them off, especially her being investigated for other stuff. Um, and coincidentally, her friend, the house we were at, she's also named in that same investigation for the retail theft. But my guess, my best guess is that when they were contacted by the detective at the sheriff's office in regards to me, 
they'd probably thought that I had given up all of their stuff, which I didn't. It was a different agency. It wasn't really any interest to the sheriff's office, but um, I think they kind of assumed that I went and ratted on them for all their stuff. And so they were just basically throwing out every negative thing I'd ever said, every, you know, fly I'd ever had in the relationship. And, and, and my, my IA guy had brought that up when I went back and, and did the full interview later, he was like, well, I talked with her. She actually came down to the sheriff's office, drove like two hours to come here and just like, let me have it about what a piece of shit you are for like two hours. So he's like, is there any reason why she would have like bad blood or negative feelings? And I was like, yeah. And that's when I kind of told him everything else, as far as like our relationship, how it had kind of gone out of control and spiraled. But, uh, but yeah, so that's what I was referring to with all that stuff. Okay. I gotcha. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy, Brad Williams over at police fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on poorly made police memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Before we get into, we're going to call it the second act. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, um, I like it. I like it. Yeah. You could uh, be a writer. I could. I could be a poorly <laughs> made police movie. That's coming next. You can be the star actor. So <laughs> uh, before we move on, I need to do the officer of the podcast. And we're actually going to do two because you guys know how I feel about two guys, both at the same time. <laughs> so as you guys know, uh, Ghost Patch. They donated some patches to me, and the officer of the podcast receives a patch. So nominate your buddy to win, and the patch is something no one else has except for the officer of the podcast. So it is unique. And uh, so, yeah, recognize your uh, friends and coworkers that are doing good stuff. The writer writes their friends in blankety-blankety. I wanted to nominate my two guys from my department, blankety-blankety and blankety-blankety. These guys are outstanding. They are great cops and they get a lot of arrest. And they're also compassionate cops. They don't treat everybody like dirtbags and they help fellow cops out. Blankety One is also just a great friend, but I'm probably biased. They don't get enough recognition. And recently, Blankety One got reprimanded for telling Sergeant Shithead that the new officers on a shift need more positive words from their supervisor. And um, she writes Blankety Two is uh, getting a blaster's degree and is the best FTO and is always super helpful, knowledgeable with case law and just super dependable and somehow likes his job. So well done, Blankety One and Blankety Two. Do they deserve air horns, applause, or a T-Rex? We're going T-Rex. I was going to say T-Rex, yeah. All right. Okay, now... Now for act two, we don't want to get get too far ahead. So where does this, um, how does the acting thing happen? How does that evolve from working at the gym and then all of a sudden you're in LA? Yeah. So that actually goes back before that. I was still working at the time. So I don't, I don't know if I told you this in the DM, but um, my sergeant, the same one that I had gone to and told everything, um, his cousin 
was a film director is a film director and was working on a film in St. George at the time. And so one what night, kind of, what kind of film though? Uh, like an indie film, like a feature film. So, uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> not quite. I mean, maybe, not quite. Okay. I, yeah, maybe, okay. maybe some parts of the film, but it's actually a good one. I watched it. It's called Sosafina, but, um, yeah, so they were filming at a bar in St. George. It was called the one and only because it's literally literally the only bar in St. George at the time. I think they might have two or three now. But um, yeah, he was basically like, hey, we need some cops to come arrest our leads for a scene. Do you have anyone that would be able to come over here for like an hour? And like I said, I'd always like I'd done like stupid little YouTube videos in high school. And like I did stand up for a bit in high school as well and just like made fun little videos as a kid and always thought it'd be awesome to be an actor. Right. But I'd obviously never considered it as like an actual career. Um, and so, yeah, fast forward to this night, he hits us up on our IMs on our uh, laptops and was like, Hey, anybody want to be in a movie tonight? And I was like, fuck yeah. So I told him I'd do it and went over the bar and spent an hour on set working with the actors and the, uh, the two directors, it's a husband and wife. They make great work, but um, yeah, met them and met everybody and did the scene and had a fucking blast, man. It was so much fun. I was on set for about an hour. And after that, it kind of kind of reignited that fire in me of like acting and like pursuing that actually as like a legitimate career. Um, so that's kind of where that got started. Well, real quick, that reminded me of two things, a St. George thing and are you familiar with the work of Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Oh, yes. So I know that you're not Mormon. Yeah. But I'm just thinking Utah, an actor, and I'm like, <laughs> orgasmo. Yeah. Stat cock. Fucking, if, if you guys have not seen Orgasmo, it is <laughs> such a funny movie. <sighs> mm. Google T-Rex. Thank me later. So... Here's this. You mentioned St. George, and it and it yeah. just got me thinking. So this van thing, where I had to get my van, I was in the Honda dealership out there. Oh yeah, I I I flew out there from uh, Denver to Phoenix, and then into the, like a little hopper into St. George because it has a little mm-hmm. tiny airport. And I don't like flying, so I got drunk. And <laughs> so when I woke up in the morning and I was walking to the dealership, I. I was like, what the fuck? There's palm trees here? We're fucking Utah. There's no way. And so I ended up like getting obsessed with why there are palm trees in St. George. And I learned that they just, they brought them in. They're not real. Yeah. Right. They're not native. Yeah. So there's a fun fact, kids. There's fucking palm trees in St. George. I do like St. George and like Hurricane and stuff. I think those are oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hurricane is actually where the sheriff's office was at. Okay. Yeah, I've only driven through Hurricane a couple of times, but I, I like mm-hmm. that that area. So people anyway, call it Hurricane, by the way. It's, it's not Hurricane. Call. I think it's Hurricane. I call it there the whole time I live there, but it's uh they call it Hurricane. But it's spelled Hurricane. Exactly. What in the cinnamon toast fuck? Okay, so anyway, so you dabbled a little bit into the acting thing. So you kind of had um a taste in your mouth, so to speak. And then how did it evolve? Yeah. Yeah. So after that, um, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of did that night and was like, holy shit, that was so much fun. Maybe I should give this some more thought. And 
to be perfectly honest, there were several nights over the three years I was on patrol where I'd be, I worked nights the majority of the time. So I'd be pretty slow from like, you know, two to five AM. And, um, I'd find myself in the desert, just driving down highways, kind of wondering what would have happened. Um, in college, I had the opportunity to move out to LA. I had a guy who his aunt or sorry, his uncle worked with my dad in Oregon as a cop. Um, the guy ended up going on and becoming an actor, finding some success with shows and stuff has like a, a travel show he does now, but, um, super cool guy. And he just kind of offered when I was in college, he's like, Hey, if you move out to LA and, and pursue this, I'll set you up with my agent. I'll kind of get you into some classes, things like that. So I had the opportunity to do that almost like a fork in the road of either doing that or law enforcement. And I ended up choosing law enforcement at the time. So I kind of always in the back of my mind wondered what would have happened had I gone the other way, right? Like, had I pursued that, where would I be now? Would I have found success or, or not? Or where would I be at? But, um, so this was almost like kind of a second sign, if you will, of just like, well, maybe I should pursue it. Maybe, maybe it is worth thinking about more. Um, and about the same time I was again, kind of getting miserable in Utah as like a, where I was at in life, just kind of wanted a fresh chapter and, um, yeah. So then fast forward, everything happened with the IA, all that stuff. And, you know, was talking to my buddy about moving to California still. And, and we ended up just doing it. We just, I took my, you know, my $10,000 check from the sheriff's office and spent every penny of it getting a, an apartment in LA, getting a lease, you know, traveling out there, moving and getting set up. I, I literally spent my last dollar the day before I got a job in LA. So hey, the timing kind of worked out perfectly, but um, yeah, that just kind of catapulted me into that to where I eventually ended up in LA to actually pursue it. So, and you said you went with your, your buddy that was in Alaska, right? Yep. Yeah. We grew up together in Utah. He went to Alaska. I went to Southern Utah. Uh, he was in the army. I became a cop, things like that. But yeah, we eventually linked back up. Okay. So, I, I just I can just see like a movie, like you driving through the desert of Nevada down I fifteen mm-hmm. down towards L A. Yep, and um, it is fifteen, right? Yeah, make sure I'm factually correct. Yeah, yep. you're good. And uh, so you're driving out there, and like your hair's flying through the convertible, <laughs> you know, out the convertible. I actually had short hair still at the time. Oh, you still had cop hair? Yes, I had cop hair for a while, even out in L A. Okay, yeah, because you look like uh. You look like a dirty hippie. So uh, like the Oregon thing made sense, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So with, like you're going out there. Are you like, what the fuck am I doing? Or are you like confident the whole time? Like this is going to fucking work. Dude, I was pedal to the floor. I actually got like three speeding tickets. I'll admit on my way out there because I was just so fucking happy to get out of Utah, to get out of that situation, to be going back with my homie that I grew up with. He's like, you know, a brother to me. And so it was, I was, I couldn't have got there fast enough. You got three speeding tickets on one trip? One trip. Is that true? Did that really it, happen? It is. It was UHP. And then I believe Nevada and CHP. You don't, you paid them, right? You don't got any warrants I, oh, yeah, out for your No, we're good. Okay. We're good. My insurance went through the roof, but yeah, I paid them. So you get out there. Mm-hmm. and 
how does one look for acting jobs? How does that even fucking work? Like from, <laughs> I guess, explain that from like kind of the intro. Like, did you have an in? Did you still know people or were you basically like showing up on sets or how's that work? Um, so I actually did, I did have an in, I had a, uh, and it's fuck, man, it's crazy. Like just thinking about it now, like I said, everything happens for a reason, but, um, while I was in high school or sorry, while I was in college, I had met a couple through that friend of mine that I ended up moving to LA with. Um, and they were actors. He's done a lot of work. Uh, he's been in like the hangover and all those movies, um, He's done a lot of work with like different shows and she's done a lot of work as well. Their husband and wife. But he was always like, cause I told him obviously at the time I met him, like, Oh yeah, acting's cool. Like I always thought about doing it. And, but I think I'm about to become a cop, you know? And he's like, Oh, that's badass." And anyway, long story short, I linked back up with him when I moved out. I was like, Hey, so some shit happened. I'm in LA now pursuing acting. Do you have any, like, what should I do? Like, exactly. I don't know what the fuck to do. Like what, where should I start? And he was really gracious, really cool. He gave me like a few phone calls and we we sat and just talked and he's like, you know, tell me what kind of steer away from, what to look for. But yeah, a lot of it's casting websites. So you make a profile um, and then you have access to certain jobs that are posted. You can submit your headshots, submit your demo reel, and then the casting directors will either reach back out to you with an audition or, or they won't. And that's it. And then the audition, you get a call back, you get the job, so... So this isn't something where you like show up at like, you know, I don't fucking know what studios are out there. You don't show up to NBC. Yeah. Like standing no. outside the gate, like you're looking for no. work at Home Depot or something. God, like, I, wish just... it, I wish okay. it was that easy. That'd be nice. No. Yeah. You got to go through the agents, the managers and all that. But like I said, everything happens for a reason. Funny thing is that guy that helped me get started. Um, I'm actually wrapped by, by his manager. Now we're both with the same people. So. It's kind of funny how that all kind of comes together in the end, but, um, but yeah, no, you go through the, um, you would actually go into like physical casting offices with, you know, almost like an oral board to put it in police terms. You got the director, the producer, the casting director, all sitting behind the table and you go read your lines, you do the scene and they tell you, usually it's like, thank you. <laughs> and that's it. Or they might have you work through a couple different things and, um, usually if they have you like work through some stuff, that's when you know you're doing good, but otherwise that, yeah, you, you either hear back or you don't. God, that sounds, do you have to be in like a guild or something like the screen actors guild? To so get yeah. So SAG, that the screen actors guild, you don't have to, but that opens up essentially the best like top tier jobs. Cause so it's, it's the way it's distributed is non-union and SAG. So non-union is technically what I am now, where that's your student films. It's all your indie films, like the one in St. George. Um, pretty much anybody can go make a non-union film with no rules, no restrictions, no guidelines. Um, but SAG is where you come into like the minimum payments for the actors, the minimum you know, requirements, things that have to be met in order to be considered a SAG film. And I mean, you look at like your Brad Pitt, your Tom Cruise's, your Scarlett Johansson's, they're all in SAG, right? So they're all in the union. Um, so that essentially just opens up like the biggest caliber jobs once you get there. Okay. So the union is for, is not for the pores. Right. Okay. Right. So ever like even, so like in a screen actors guild movie, is that basically every movie that, 
would make it to like a theater basically pretty much yeah i mean the only one i can think of and i'm a huge like movie junkie but i'm kind of a nerd about that shit but uh the biggest i believe at the time it was non-union when it was first made was lord of the rings you'll have to maybe fact check me on that but okay i'm pretty sure that was the biggest non-union one because they were doing it in new zealand they had pretty much like they had a studio behind it but they they could essentially do their own thing they could get around the labor laws of you know they were having like 18 hour days with like because for example sag if you work eight hours you have to have like a certain amount of time before you can be back at work the next day or before you can ask the actors to be back on set and so like lord of the rings they didn't have any of that shit they did like 18 hour days got home got two hours of sleep and went back the next morning but uh, but yeah the majority of them are sag that you see in theaters and see from like the big studios now, can anybody be in SAG? Like, can I just like sign up and be like, hey, I want to be an actor to be in SAG? Or like, do you need a sponsor? How's that work? So you you need to meet some certain criteria. So it's either you need to get a certain amount of background vouchers, which is through like, if you see like, I'm trying to think of a good example, like a scene in like a Mission Impossible movie where he's running through the streets everyone that's just randomly walking on the street doing their own thing. Those are background actors, right? They're extras. Um, and so everyone, are those that, people sag or no, they're the not, but, okay. no, they're not. But most of them are there in the hopes of becoming sag because you either need to get vouchers from those background jobs, um, which aren't guaranteed. But like I said earlier, my, my law enforcement experience helped me out a ton in this, any kind of specialized role, like I did, I was a background actor on an episode of Star Trek, uh, Picard, and it entailed me loading an AR-15. And so because of my law enforcement background, I obviously knew my way around an AR and and looked good doing it, looked comfortable. And so they hired me for that. And I got you didn't accidentally set. shoot somebody while on set, right? I did not. No, I did not. Be here all night, folks. Very, they had a very good team of armorers there, which is the key <laughs> on that, but... Yes, no, it was, uh, they actually did give me a real AR, though. They just, the uh, the mag was empty, but yeah, essentially it was just, you know, racking the slide and stuff like that, pretending like I was cleaning it, but but yeah, no, I mean, you do stuff like that. I A lot of my driving experience from a police officer, you know, you go through your your EVO, your, tra- your vehicle training. Um, I've used that. I've done jobs as an actor where I've been driving the camera car on pursuits, where I've been doing like pit maneuvers, things like that. And you get, you get vouchers for that, for any kind of specialized job usually. So because of that, I'm now eligible. Um, But it just costs like four grand to join SAG. So I'm not, not quite there yet with the, with the finances, but hopefully soon. I'm going to hate myself if I don't make this joke. So if you said that you were, basically to your last dollar before you got a paid gig how close did you get to porno oh my god well hey i mean it worked out okay for kevin costner <laughs> well not anymore yeah well I don't was, know. Costner in, was costner in porn too i his knew first, um his first job ever like i said i'm a film nerd i know all these weird random facts but yeah his his first job was a softcore video really I he actually so- said Oh, go ahead. No, all right. Well, you you finish that story and I'll follow it up. I was just going to say in an interview once he said, he's like, if this is the only work I can get, I don't want to be a fucking actor. 
<laughs> and then shortly you know after that, he got his break. But I mixed up Kevin Costner, who I like Kevin Costner with um, who's the guy that got in trouble for screwing around with kids um or younger people um, oh yeah um kevin uh, spacey name? kevin spacey yes i don't oh. i got those mi- guys mixed up the kevin's really always get fucking me. actor terrible fucking dude but yeah yeah um by the way kevin costner fucking my favorite fucking baseball movie of all time name it oh of course of course um fuck i'm blanking on it Right now, but I know the movie you're talking about. <laughs> fucking Bull Durham. Yes. Love yes. Bull Durham. Uh, Tin yes. Cup is also a good one. If you haven't seen that one, I have not. I have heard it's good. Uh, it's a golf one, but it's hilarious. All right. I got to ask Are there pornos with you in them floating around, allegedly? Absolutely not. The reason for that, <laughs> several reasons, but one of them being I have tattoos that identify me. <laughs> hmm. So it's like, yeah, like there's no way I could ever do it because I would, they'd be like, you know, I'd be in a movie later and they'd be like, oh, there's that same tattoo. Holy shit. I seen him on, you know. Well, I could never do pornos and it's just because you got to be a certain size. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> how how long did it take you to find a gig from the time you moved there to the time you got the gig? Honestly, like it sounds crazy. It was only a couple months. So I moved out to LA in beginning of August of 2019. And by the end of September, so literally less than two months. Yeah. By the end of September, I've landed a modeling job for T-Mobile and shocker again, it's hilarious. It was a cop job. Like I was playing a police officer. It was for like a, this new plan that's geared towards first responders for like, you know, better coverage and stuff in remote areas. Um, but yeah, I walked in with my, we bought all our own gear at the sheriff's office. So I still had my uniform. I put that thing on and walked into the audition room and got the job. So yeah, that, that didn't take long, but it is definitely an ebb and flow. There's, there's definitely peaks and valleys, you know, COVID obviously killed all the work for at least a good year and a half. Um, and now we're finally getting back up to speed, but yeah. You'll go in spurts where you'll book one job and then you'll book two or three more and then you'll go, you know, a few months without it. But it's just, yeah, kind of riding the waves. Yeah, that would be kind of scary not knowing, you know, when your next source of income is. I mean, yeah. to these, I'm not going to tell you, you know, ask you to say how much you make or whatever, but mm-hmm. like, so you get this modeling thing for T-Mobile. Like, is that right. enough money to like pay for rent for a couple months or is it not even that? Um, at the time, yeah. I mean, I got, I think for the T-Mobile job, I got a few grand, which was nice, but rent in LA is obviously not what rent in St. George, Utah is. So, you know, it lasts a little less time than it would in like Utah, but, but yeah, I mean, you kind of, you learn a lot about managing money. I'm, I mean, that's a constant point of growth for me is finances, you know, just cause I'm, I'm used to consistency and, and having a stable check every two weeks. And, you know, realizing now, as I look back, like as a cop, you get a lot of discounts, you get a lot of stuff you don't have to pay for. Like I could take my patrol truck to the gym, to the grocery store. I'm not used to paying gas prices. (laughs) Like a lot of things you're just not used to covering that now you have to pay for in normal day society. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the good ones last you at least a month or two. 
obviously if you get into like royalties that that can last a lot more but those jobs are few and far between anymore uh as far as commercial okay i was gonna ask like what kind of jobs would be like would you get royalties off of yeah typically it used to be commercials but now it's more like shows like tv i mean there's so many streaming platforms now and tv shows out those are probably your best bets for like a steady check um yeah because a lot of the commercials are just going with the the buyout route now so it's like you do the job you get your 500 750 for the day and then they they'll buy you out for anywhere from like 1500 to you know 10 12 grand so yeah the money will last you a good bit if you're smart with it but the royalties used to go up into six figures regularly and now they don't. Wow. As a person now living in LA, do you feel like a lot of the people that live in LA are kind of the same boat as you trying to make it? Or is there, I don't know. LA just seems like if you move, like a lot of people move there to, yeah. to kind of make it. Do you, I assume that like you run into like all your neighbors or people that move there from somewhere else trying to make it. Absolutely. Yeah. I always joke. It's like, if you're in LA, you're either an actor, a musician, or pursuing one of the two. So it's like there's not many people you meet here that are born and raised here that stay here just because it's so expensive. And quite honestly, like if I was selling insurance, I'd much rather live in like fucking West Virginia where I could go buy a four bedroom house, you know, for what I'm making and not live in the middle of the city with, you know, the ghetto. 10 minutes away and you know crime the way it is and yeah so i mean everybody here is trying to make it which honestly i love about la as well because people are pursuing something and in utah not necessarily the people i work with but people kind of in general there they settle into a routine right like they they work at a school or they work and i love teachers like nothing against teachers but they find a stable job and they kind of maybe they give up on their dreams to find the steady paycheck and they just ride it out for 20, 30 years. And they look back and go, holy shit. I always wanted to be a singer. Or I always wanted to be a, a doctor. Why didn't I ever pursue that? And kind of being around that in Utah and, and seeing these people's lives as I was a cop, going to these houses, going to these calls, in a way, almost like spurred me more towards going to the acting thing. Because it's like, you know, shit, I'm 25 years old. I'm not getting any younger. Like, why not go for it now? And so I do love that part of LA that everybody's pursuing something. Yeah. Now that you're here or there rather, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're, you know, it's been a few years since the, uh, since the edible, have you had thoughts about like reapplying at one of these California agencies? Are you pretty happy doing what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, both, honestly, like I, I mean, I think I, I mentioned this in the DM as well, but I, I loved being a cop. I absolutely loved it. I would drive my patrol car around the desert on the west side of the county with the sunset coming down, you know, and I'd be like, holy shit, I'm so fucking lucky to be able to do this. Like, I'm literally living my dream. And even through the dark times, even through all the getting kind of jaded towards the end with stuff like the being frustrated, being, you know, a non-Mormon in Utah, things like that, I was still super fucking stoked to go to work every day. Like, I loved it. And that's been really hard because I feel very fortunate that I've been able to pursue two dreams at 29 years old and to be able to find success with both of them to some degree. 
Um, but at the same time, it's like, I constantly kind of feel torn between like law enforcement and acting. Like I, I miss being a cop every day and I probably will for the rest of my life. I miss, I miss the guys I worked with, the girls I worked with. Like it was such a good group of people and I miss the camaraderie acting is every man for himself. Like you're your own business. You represent like yourself. I mean, you have agents and managers, but like in the sense of your success, like you, it's on you and you're working independently for the most part. And I miss the the team aspect of law enforcement. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the fuck man. Just like the nights at the seven 11 getting drinks at two in the morning. Like those are the moments I miss the most and probably always will. But I've, yeah, I've thought about, I mean, especially in California, like where I live down in by the beach, like, the agencies here make stupid money, like three, four times what I was making in Utah. So it's definitely crossed my mind. Um, but I'm not quite at that point yet where where I'm ready to pursue that just because of the commitment level it takes. I'm not able to do that and acting at the same time the way I want to. Um, you know, that, with, yeah. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that, that oh. kind of leads me – that leads me into – another question i meant to ask earlier but the commitment with acting i mean is that something where people do people have part-time jobs or is it basically looking for work to act every single day kind of stuff like how you know are you able to work part-time somewhere to you know bring some bread in or is that not something you can do definitely no you need to absolutely because the work is so sparse sometimes like you need, I mean, obviously I'd love to be a full-time working actor all the time and and credit to people who are at that point in their career. But until then you gotta, you gotta grind. You gotta work your ass off just to pay the bills. Like I'm working as a, a personal trainer right now and a uh, coach at Orange Theory. I don't know. They have those over there, right? Uh, they had them in Colorado. I know what they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm working in Orange Theory and, and as a personal trainer, which again, my PT instructor has carried over to that and and helped me a lot with it, but, but yeah, it's a grind. Like I'm, I'm putting in, that's the other thing that I'm not really used to. It's been a hard adjustment is when I was a cop, I knew my schedule for the year, right? Like I could book things out, plan trips. I knew these days of the week I was working these days I'm at home and I was really good at separating work from home. So I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I'd be off and I'd relax and I'd, you know, watch TV, go to the gym, go on a hike and forget about work for my days off and then go back. But now you can't do that. Like acting, personal training, it's a 24 seven job. So that's been pretty tough, honestly, to kind of get used to. But, but yeah, I mean, you're working jobs to to bring in money any way you can because bills got to get paid. And then you're also every night, like I'm on those casting sites looking for work. My agents and managers are great. They're sending me work, you know, sending me auditions. And then when you get an audition, you're prepping it. You're kind of dedicating your your whole 24, 48 hours to that when you get them. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. That was my next question is what do agents and managers actually do? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the good ones do quite a bit. <laughs> I've had both, but I'm very happy with the team I have now. Um, Essentially, their job is to find you auditions. And then at that point, it's on you to prepare for the audition and perform well enough to get a callback and to eventually get the job. 
obviously a lot more goes into that as far as casting you know there's so many factors that go into casting aside from your performance that it's it's frustrating but it's also like there's really nothing you can do about it it's out of your control i mean you may walk into an audition room and the casting director thinks you look like their ex and so they don't pick you you know it's literally could be that or it could be you gave a shit performance but the hard thing is it's so subjective and especially coming from law enforcement where everything is pretty merit-based you know you can tell by someone's performance how they handle a call how many stops they're making how many arrests they have it's kind of a generally pretty good gauge of performance but acting is totally subjective so it's kind of weird in that regard but yeah the agents find you the auditions and get you in the room, so to speak. And then the rest is on you to kind of deliver. Now, do they get like a cut of whatever you make from that job or do you pay them monthly? How does that work? Yeah, they get a cut. So I don't pay any monthly fees. And if anybody's pursuing acting and an agency or manager is requesting that huge red flag, don't do it. But um, yeah, so everything that I book through them I give them a cut. So like my manager's 15%, my agent's 20. Um, so it just comes out of that pay for that job. So what's the manager do that's different than the agent? Yeah. So agents essentially, I mean, my manager's great. Uh, it's a team of a, a guy and a girl. They both work kind of as agents anyway. So they, they'll find me a lot of really great auditions. The you're essentially with a manager accessing their network. So the manager knows producers, they know directors, they have clients that are, you know, screenwriters and they'll kind of introduce you to them and link you up with them um, to kind of get, you know, in the room with those people where agents will just look for auditions. Like they don't worry about if, if they're a really good agent, they might go above and beyond and do that. But most of the time they're just getting you auditions and getting as many auditions for you as they can. And then hopefully you'll book one or two of them and, and kind of get on a roll. But managers are more long-term based. Okay. Do most people you run into, are they like actors plus screenwriters or they're trying to write stuff too? Or is there like a divide? Like some people want to write and some people want to act. Yeah. I mean, you got both sides of it. So you got people that are your Aaron Sorkins, your Taylor Sheridan's that are just total only screenwriters at this point. They, they, lock themselves in their rooms and they crank out these awesome fucking scripts. Um, but then you also got people that are only actors. They, they, you know, couldn't write a sentence to save their life. And they just, they're brilliant actors though. Um, and then you get people that do both. Um, I, at this point in my career, I've, I've started writing as well, just because when the work is slow, like, you know, you want to create stuff, you want to do stuff. So I've been writing uh, some scripts one is actually loosely based off my situation, like a police kind of script. So I'm pretty excited about that one, but um, I'm still working on it. But but yeah, so a lot of people will do both. They'll kind of try and create their own content. That way they can get real footage for their, their acting and hopefully get more acting work from it. Um, but then you got, I mean, Taylor Sheridan, he started out as an actor. I don't know if you've seen Sons of Anarchy. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Okay, so he was like the straight edge cop on Sons of Anarchy. His name was, I think, Barton or Burton, one of the two. But he was the cop on Sons of Anarchy, bounced around between a few shows, never really had a huge success as actor. But then he became a writer. And now he's writing, you know, Wind River, Yellowstone, 1883, like Mayor Kingstown, all these amazing shows. 
So that's the thing is you really never know where the industry will take you. It's just kind of figuring out what you enjoy doing and, and hopefully finding some success with it. What was the biggest role you've had so far? Um, so the biggest role I've had as far as the role was this project. Uh, it's called Loss of Essence. It's an independent film. I'd shot it out in Mississippi last year. And I'm super stoked about it. It should come out hopefully in the next uh, next year at some point, hopefully. Um, it's just been in editing right now, but it uh, super fun role, man. It was a blast. We went out to Mississippi for two weeks. The director is an awesome guy, really good at what he does and flew us all out, you know, put us all up in a cabin on his property. They got like a huge farm out there. So we were just basically playing in the woods for two weeks and filming shit. And it was, it was awesome. My character was like a, a fake actor playing a soldier in like a fake movie. Um, and that's kind of the the theme of the film, but um, yeah, the, it was a lot of fun. We got to, I got to do my own stunts. I got to like climb up logs and, you know, do fight sequences and, and a whole bunch of fun stuff like sword fighting, shit like that. But that was definitely my biggest one as far as the role goes. As far as the production goes, um, I did, you know, I've done a few shows as far as like the more background stuff. I was on a show called Terminal List. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, but heard of it. Really good. I would highly recommend it. The author, Jack Carr, uh, wrote the book that it's based off. And it's an amazing book. I'm on book number five, I think. I think there's six out right now. But it's a Chris Pratt show, Taylor Kitsch. They're the two leads. Um, really, really fucking awesome show. It's about, you know, like a Navy SEAL who goes rogue, kind of becomes like a, a little domestic terrorist in, in his cause, his righteous cause. But But that was cool just to be on set and get to see Chris Pratt work. I mean, he was like 10, 15 feet away from me most of the time. Like, I got to watch him just go through, go through his day. And so that was a really awesome experience. That was definitely the biggest set I've been on. I got to be honest, man. That sounds like a really stressful life. <laughs> Trying to like <laughs> fucking work out these gigs and figure it out. Like I, and yeah. I understand the hustle when you, you were talking um, about, you know, knowing what your days off and shit were. I will tell you, like I've done this page for a while. The podcast is a new thing, but yeah. you know, it, it wasn't as time consuming as it is now. And mm-hmm. I'm fucking always doing shit, yeah. with made. you know, whether it's making yeah. memes or podcasts or talking to people or scheduling podcasts or whatever I'm trying to do the hustle. And it, it does feel like a 24 seven job. Like I, oh, I yeah. turn off my phone at night and then I wake back up and I'm right back at it. So yeah. not that what I'm doing is the same at all by any means, but it's got to be a little bit stressful as far as like, you know, not knowing exactly where you're getting eaten and stuff, but it sounds like, you know, you got the side gig, which is helpful. Are they pretty understanding when you have, um, you gotta go, you gotta go act and be an actor. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a big reason that drew me to that. I I mean, I bounced around the, uh, the overnight security world for a while coming out of law enforcement and it's great money. It's great jobs. I got a lot of fun doing it. Got to do some cool stuff, but Definitely now is a much better place as far as flexibility. You know, I can get get my classes covered in Orange Theory if I need to take a week or two off or if at the gym. You know, it's just like you said, it's managing stuff on your your own time, your personal time. But but it's like I'll just text clients be like, hey, I'm out of town this week. Um, we can reschedule for next week, whatever it may be. 
Um, but yeah, the flexibility is huge and that's so nice after working on, I did overnights from like 10 PM to 6 AM for about the first three years I lived out here. And so it's been such a nice transition to go back to a more normal schedule. I don't know if you know offhand, but I, and I'm just curious, like how hard it is to get a job. Like mm-hmm. what's the ratio of, you know, how many auditions do you have to do to like get a gig kind of thing? Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely a numbers game. The more the opportunities you're given, the more, you know, the more likely you are to book one, but it's hard, man. It's so subjective. Like, I mean, I hate, I know people that will track it. They'll have like spreadsheets where they, they write down like, okay, this is how many auditions I had this month. And this is how many callbacks. And this is how many bookings to be honest. I don't really fuck with that. I just, it's not good for me mentally. I've tried doing that and it just is frustrating sometimes. So I just like, I mean, obviously the more auditions you get, hopefully the more jobs you book. But for me, it's like my philosophy is kind of like if it's your job, it's going to be your job from day one. Like you just kind of got to, you know, I'm, I believe in like faith and all that stuff. And so it's like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it's not, it's not like you just kind of got to go and, and do your best and, and forget about it after the audition. And if they call back, great. If not, it's on to the next one. Are you a fucking lefty? <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm okay. not. Maybe it's just a weird angle. Cause I was looking at your pictures on internet movie database and I'm like, uh-huh. he's holding that gun. Like he's a lefty. Oh, like, le- Oh God. I think you meant politically. No. Yes. I am a lefty. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Yeah. God damn, that's <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a left. We don't get political shooter. here, sir. Yes. I am a left-handed shooter. 100%. <laughs> I was like, I swear to God, he's shooting left-handed. <laughs> I'm like not making this up. I was oh, I've been in LA up. too long, man. Yeah, I'm like thinking political all the time. No, yeah. Um, yes, I shoot left-handed. Not to get too off topic, but I <laughs> I mentioned it in a meme today. Well, it was a meme today, but it's like it, the political stuff 24-7, does it not get nauseating? Like, don't get me wrong. There's things on both sides that people can be angry about. That's fine. But you just, I feel like we run across so many people these days that you cannot have a conversation about anything and it does like you could be like, yeah, it's, it's cold out today. Ah, fucking global warming. <laughs> Fuck, dude. It's November. You know, like it's fucking yeah. cold. You know, yeah. oh, 100%. I cold, totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's especially in LA. Like, obviously in LA, there's it leans more towards one side than the other. And that's fine. You know, I've, I've got a lot of friends that are very different politically than me, but it, you know, you just kind of, at the end of the day, just got to do your thing and people are going to have their own views and thoughts on it. And that's up to them. And that's great. But, you know, I, I try not to let it discourage me or anything like that. I just kind of, kind of keep my head down and, and focus on the task at hand, which is acting and writing. And yeah. I don't know if I have any more questions as far as the acting stuff. I may think of stuff as we go along, but are you ready yeah. for some of my dumb questions that I ask everybody? Let's do it. Rookie mistakes. What is the dumbest thing you did as a rookie? Oh, okay. I don't remember if I was a rookie or if I was like in my second year, but close enough. Um, I actually still have the news headline. I screenshotted it on my phone. It's still on my Google photos, but just because I laughed so hard, it was, it was awful. But we were on a call of a kid. He was 18. We'll call him Bill. And Bill had beaten up on his girlfriend 
and then ran away. And we all knew Bill. We all knew his family, knew where he lived. He was in one of those small county towns, and everybody knew this kid and knew kind of what a dirtbag he was. But we go look for him. We finally track him down. He's hanging out with a few friends. They're in a car on the side of the road in one of the county areas where I was patrolling. I make a stop on the car. Once I see him in the car, bring my buddy up. He backs me. We, you know, pull everybody out, start talking to him, detain him, all that good stuff. And at that point, I'd had enough probable cause to to hook Bill for the assault, witness statements, things like that, pictures from the, the St. George cop. So I have him in the back of my truck and doors are locked. Everything's good to go. He's seat belted in. Everything's good. He's already been searched. All that stuff is good. I'm just waiting to take him down to the jail. And it's about a 45 minute to an hour drive from where we're at. It's right on the edge of the county. Um, Enterprise, you ever heard of that city? I haven't. Okay, I was curious. It's right by Cedar City, but it's right on the edge of the county. But anyway, me and my buddy were talking to Bill's friends and getting kind of the information, the statements from them, anything that could help our case, you know, all that stuff. And the friends just keep... They keep telling us that they've been drinking. They think that they're drunk, like all this weird shit that you're like, why are these high school kids telling us this? But at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, all right, well, shit, well, we got to give these two kids field sobriety. You know, Bill's secured in my car. We got a, I got a full tank of gas. Like we can run these kids through FSTs real quick. So we do that. They are drunk. So we call their parents, get them to come out. My, my backup, he's like, all right, I'll wait with the car and these kids. You know, you can take him to the jail. At that time, one of Bill's friends looks out the window. And this is night, by the way. This is like 10, 11 at night. So it's dark outside. They go, oh, my God, he's running. And I look around. I don't see anything. And so the first thing I do is sprint over to my truck. That's probably about 30 yards away from this other car. Um, And... The windows rolled down and Bill is not in the back seat anymore. Oh, no. Bill stands about six foot four. So he was able to roll the window down and get his feet out of the truck, hop down and start running. My How the fuck did he get the window down? Well, that's the that's the kicker is the window lock wasn't on. Mm. My opinion, I'll say this. To the world is my witness. Any police charger, truck, SUV, they should take that shit off in the factory. Like they should disable the window lock, at least for the rear windows. Right. Like, I don't know if I'm too far off base on that, but I just think it's like a bad idea to have. I never had a patrol car where that the button was even back there. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of my thought on it, too. But it's still my fault. I had the window unlocked and i'll tell you why it was unlocked it's fucking hilarious but um anyway we ran i ran everywhere looking for bill couldn't find him looking back he probably had ran about as soon as i put him in there and the kids his friends were just kind of stalling us getting him a head start (laughs) which explains fucking awesome i mean like i'm not even mad i'm impressed I know. So, yeah, we went through all that. I probably spent 20 extra minutes with the kids while Bill was just booking it through the cornfields. But, um, yeah, I eventually found him. He had my handcuffs on him still. 
And yeah, I called his parents at about, you know, it took a while. We had helicopters, we had dogs, we had everybody looking for this fucking kid. And about three hours later, he came back home, which I had called his mom before and said, Hey, I just arrested your son. He has my handcuffs. He ran. If he comes home and you don't call me immediately, I'm going to arrest you and your husband next just for, you know, obstruction. And so she thankfully did call when he walked in. So we all ran in there, you know, we had the whole shift. We had like five cars rolling in on this kid. I put another handcuffs on him. We got him to the station and all that. But yeah, there was a news article about it. Um, But the funny thing is the reason the window lock was even unlocked, I'd always kept it locked. And so that's why I just never thought anything of it. But one of my buddies, you mentioned the St. George Airport. One of my buddies, he was actually the school resource officer at the time where Bill went to school. But he had been out in, this is hilarious, but he went out in Vegas, was partying at like, uh, I think he was at SEMA, the auto show and like stopped in Vegas on his way back and called me. He's like, hey man, I couldn't get my bus to come back to St. George. Is there any way, or I couldn't get my flight. He's like, is there any way you can come pick me up at the Greyhound stop? I know you're working tonight. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty slow. Like I'll give you a ride home. And, you know, he, he lived in my area, not far from where I was at. And so I went and picked him up and I had all my gear and stuff in the front seat and the passenger. So I was like, do you mind riding in the back? Like it's clean. He's like, no, it's cool. So I hop in back and, you know, open the door for him. We drive him home. He's like, Hey, my buddy was watching my truck. Do you mind if, uh, if you just drop me off at my truck? I was like, yeah, you're not like drunk or anything, right? He's like, no, I'm good. So I drop him off in his truck and (laughs) the patrol truck is running. I just pull over in front of this truck on the side of the street. I unlock his window and roll the window down so that he can open the door to let himself out because you can't open the door from the inside in the back. So I roll the window down for him. He reaches out, pops open the door, hops out, gets in the gas can of this truck that he left his keys in, drives off. And he said later to his neighbor thought someone stole his truck. So he, his neighbor called him because they happened to be like looking out the window at the time. Saw this dude reach out the back of a cop car, pop the door open, take the keys out of a gas can in this fucking truck and drive off with it. But <laughs> it, was, it was him. But anyway, that's why the window was even unlocked, which is to me hilarious. But yeah, you can still find the news article if you Google search like St. George News. That's fucking funny. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm gonna cater this question also a little bit towards your your acting career. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything dumb as like I mean I know you're still a new actor, but like when you right. first started auditioning, I mean, <laughs> did you do anything stupid or you got any good stories about that? Oh, I got a I got a great story. So, oh man, so there's there's a couple. One real real quick one. I did an audition. And it was the worst audition in my life. I'd, it was my first audition I'd ever done. Not the T-Mobile job, but for like an acting, like theatrical role for like a drama. And I walk in the room. I'd prepped this script for like two, three days. Like every hour I would read it three times and just like get these lines down. I had it comfortable. Get in the room and I just forgot everything. Like had to literally read it off the page. It was so awkward and uncomfortable. And I finally muscled my way through it. And they're like, okay, uh, we'll be in touch. So I was like, obviously, I'm not fucking getting the job. I go back to the door. And as I'm leaving, it's a uh, a door where you had to pull to open it. And I, for whatever reason, I was pushing on it. And I was, I was trying to get this damn door open. 
And the guy's like, literally for two minutes, I'm trying to get this fucking door open. And I'm just nervous, <laughs> like not thinking about it. The guy looks up, sees I'm still here. And he's like, oh, you have to pull it. I was like, oh, thank you. You know, pull the door and open it. And I literally, <laughs> when I got to the lobby, I was like, I'm such a fucking fool. Like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. I actually booked it, which is funny, but. I was going to ask, you never took any acting classes or anything like that, right? Never. Prior to I, moving never, never in high school, never did a theater class, anything like that. I actually got kicked out of an improv class when I was in high school. Because my you get kicked uh, out? My humor was was not PG rated, and then mm. you thought that was like the thing they needed to be PG. But, but yeah, so that was my only experience with that. I went to like one improv class and got kicked out. Do you take classes now, or are you still just fucking winging it? Yes, I definitely take classes now. Um, that buddy of mine that I'd mentioned that kind of helped me get started when I came out here, he hooked me up with a really great instructor, um, and. Again, funny coincidence. My acting coach was in the movie End of Watch. Have you seen that one? David Ayer film? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm alone in this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think it's the most realistic depiction of law enforcement, both on duty and off duty, that I've seen in a movie. I mean, there were some elements of the movie that were like, you know, a little far fetched, but as far as, you know, the in the car and like the routine yeah, calls and stuff right. and, and like their camaraderie. No, right. I, uh, I watched that movie before my second night of FTO. And I was oh, like, nice. fucking, I, I don't want to say I was in a panic, but like my hunches, <laughs> hint, what do you say that my haunches were up, you know, that yeah. night, like, Holy oh, fuck, yeah. where's the cartel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my acting coach was actually one of the detectives in that movie. So that was kind of a fun like serendipity moment, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, so I take classes. Um, I'm on a little bit of a break right now just for, you know, switching jobs, kind of recouping finances, things like that. But I'm I'm planning on going back as soon as I can. I mean, what kind of stuff do you learn in an acting class? Honestly, it's just reps. The one I go to, it's just reps. Like we get scenes that we put up for two weeks. So he'll assign us a scene partner and he'll assign us a scene. We go rehearse the scene and then the next week we'll we'll perform it in front of the class and he'll give us notes. He'll give us feedback, you know, things to work on. We'll go rehearse it again for a week and then we'll come back a second time and do it using kind of the notes that, that the instructor gave us. And that's been a huge growth opportunity for me. Like it's been so good to just go through those reps. It's it's like law enforcement, like muscle memory, right? Like you're just learning how to do it all. And, and for me, like I should have mentioned this earlier, but acting for me, like my experience with law enforcement, it kind of forces you to turn your emotions off to some degree. Like when you see like your first dead body or your first like child abuse call, things like that, it, it kind of just jades you a little bit. There's no way to avoid it. But um, in order to cope with that, I think me and a lot of other people, you kind of just shut off your emotions on some level. Um, and so acting for me has been a great exercise just to turn all that back on because that was the biggest adjustment for me coming out of law enforcement was just like constantly being at like an even level instead of being like happy or like sad about shit. Like I was just always kind of on that like middle level and that, that was kind of miserable, but, but yeah, I mean, acting class has been great for that and as well, just like 
just the reps of it, getting that muscle memory down and getting used to it. What is something you know now that you wish you knew as a young man? Girls will get you in fucking trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we should fucking just put that on a loop. Oh, uh, no. Um, Honestly, like, I'm only 29, so I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, I, I realize I'm still kind of a naive young kid in a lot of ways, but given my experience and what I've gone through to this point to just really enjoy the moment and really enjoy like the, the little moments that you don't really ever think of. For me, I'm talking in regards to law enforcement, like those coffee breaks at two in the morning at, at the gas station with, you know, my Sergeant and my, my three or four guys on our shift and girls like those are some of the best memories I have to this point in my life and just wishing that I would have really fully appreciated in the moment. I don't know if you ever really can in the moment, but just looking back on those and really kind of taking in the weight of it and, and really appreciating like all those bullshit calls that were frustrating and that you would, you'd vent about and you'd, you'd, you know, joke about with your buddies and just the stupid people that would call in day in and day out for the same complaint. Like I found myself missing those people, like missing talking to them once or twice a week, you know? And so just those little moments to kind of take it in and I guess just take seconds to check in and just realize, you know, when things are good to just appreciate that more. Cause I don't feel like I did that enough in the moment. I like that. I think a lot of us, including me, are very guilty of that. Always looking, always looking to the next thing. But uh, that's kind of Yoda esque, right? Doesn't he say something oh, yeah. about that in, in Empire about always sure. looking beyond instead of being in the moment? Yeah. What is the proudest moment of your career? I would. Uh, it's tough. There's a few that come really, really close. I mean, obviously, cookie cutter answer: Academy graduation. My dad was there. He was a cop. That that was great being there with him was I got, you know, the award for top of the class, but for my actual career, I had a call that another kid was feeling suicidal and had called into dispatch saying, Hey, I decided I'm going to kill myself tonight. I have a gun. It's from my parents safe. I know the code. I put it in. I got the gun. It's in my bedroom right now. Just calling to let you know, I'm going to kill myself. I happened to be probably about eight minutes away from the kid's house, just patrolling on the highway. So I get the call. I go over there. I had made contact with the kid by phone and his parents didn't know what was going on. No one knew anything. He was just had made the call to dispatch. So I told him, I was like, he's like making a big deal. Like, please don't tell my parents. Like, I just need to do this. I was like, Hey, I get it. Life sucks. You know, I've, I've been in your shoes as a, a 18 year old kid in high school. It's shitty, but I was like, do me a favor. If you can step out back with me for, for five minutes, let's just talk. Like I'll talk with you. Give me five minutes of your time. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. He's like, all right, I'll do that. So before the parents even knew I was there, he just said, whatever, I'm going outside. Goes outside and meets me in his cul-de-sac and we're talking and we ended up talking for like an hour and a half on that call, just about life, about whatever, you know, and I was like probably 23 or 24 at this point. So I was a lot closer to his age and his parents, but 
you know, we were just talking about random shit in life and life sucks sometimes. And like he was being bullied. I was bullied in high school too. So just that kind of stuff. And we eventually got him some help. Parents obviously were contacted. Gun was put away, came up with some better procedures as far as storing the gun. Parents changed the code, things like that. Got the kid resources. But about six months later, I was patrolling on that same highway. It was a pretty busy highway in the area. And I made a random stop on this car. I forget what it was for, probably speed, knowing the highway. But I stopped this car, and it's that kid that's driving. And I recognized him, and I recognized the mom, too, once I'd gone up on the car. But the kid looked at his mom, and he was like, oh. He's like, hey, mom, do you remember this? This is this is Officer, this is Deputy Maddox. He's the one who helped me. And I, for whatever reason, that just hit me, man, like that. I just like knees got a little weak, you know, on the side of the road. I was just like, fuck, this is exactly why, you know, I do what I do. It was so cool. That is really fucking cool, man. I I believe that you deserve a round of applause for that. Thank you. I said, I just hope the kid's still doing good. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. You mentioned kind of the cookie cutter answer about your dad being there, and I don't let me prod and I don't mean to, but if you're comfortable answering, mm-hmm. what were his thoughts on, you know, the edible situation and now towards your acting career? Like, has, I mean, was he, how was he for all that? Oh man. Um, I, I'll do my best to try and get inside his head on it. Cause I don't, I don't know a hundred percent, but knee-jerk reaction i remember the first time i called him and told him what was going on when i was before i'd even done it before i was thinking of even going forward with telling my sergeant his knee-jerk reaction was well why would you bring that up why would you volunteer that you know i don't know if it's like the code of silence or whatever it's just like well everything's great like why would you volunteer that information but as things progressed I think he ultimately was was proud of me for doing what I thought was right um, and and pursuing that. I think I would hope for him it, it, you know, represented how he raised me and just doing what I thought was right and sticking to that. I actually I have a I have a tattoo now that I got after all that. It's a, a Bible verse. It says, uh, if you should suffer for what's righteous, you'll be blessed. And so I thought that kind of was a nice little summary of that whole ordeal. But um, yeah, I mean, he, it was always kind of like, you can always go back to it. Don't worry. You'll get through this. You know, when the suspension's done, you can always go back. And over time it kind of got more as I think, as I got more involved in acting and started booking some jobs and started having some stuff that he could see me in. I think he really was, was very proud of that as well. And just kind of proud that I've I've kind of found some footing in a different trajectory in life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I missed that too. That was obviously one of the big things we bonded over was talking about calls. And like, I'd call him on shift all the time. And, you know, he lives in Atlanta. And so he'd be three hours ahead of me. I'd call him at, you know, two in the morning when he's waking up at five and, and tell him about a call I had or, a you know, a a body I just saw or something and we de-stressed that way. And so that was amazing. And I really miss those conversations that we can't have anymore, but, but it's also led to some really cool other stuff that we've been able to talk about and experience through acting. 
I got to be honest, like my first, like when you, when you messaged me and I was like, well, uh-huh. did he tell him? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but I think you were right for saying something. I, 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 I would have, I know like how I am. I'm certainly not perfect and I've done my fair share of dumb things. <laughs> I don't like when shit is weighing on me. Right. Um, I have a heavy conscience, and mm-hmm. if there's something not right and honestly, probably to a fault, because I've probably kicked the sleeping dog way too many times instead of just like, whatever. I don't know. I just, I think it's just better to fucking tell the truth, man. You lie, you oh, lie yeah. kind of thing. And I, I think having that burden of like, well, I fucking did this. I wasn't supposed to. I, I know some people listening and be like, oh, who gives a shit? It was a brownie. I wouldn't send shit to anybody. <laughs> yeah. To each their own kind of thing. But I mean, I, I think it, I don't know, you should tell the truth. Yeah, I agree. Would you want your kid to be a cop? Hmm. That's tough. That is tough. Honestly, like, I think I'd probably do the same thing my dad did. I'd try and talk him out of it or her. And then once I realized that wasn't happening, that I I don't want to say that would be a test to see how dedicated they are to it, but there was definitely a point where my dad realized like he's going to do this shit, whether or not I like it. So I might as well try and make him as prepared as I can. I think I'd probably go that route as well. Just like make sure that they've explored other options, you know, looked at other careers and make sure that they understand the risk. And I would for sure, have them talk to either, you know, my old sergeant who I'm still in touch with or anyone that I worked with that I still talk with and just let them hear it from the horse's mouth, for lack of a better term. Um, I'd make them do ride alongs, things like that. So they know exactly what they're getting into as much as they could. But yeah, I mean, I think I would try to talk them out of it at first, but after I realized if that wasn't possible, I would do the same thing, just try and prepare them as much as I could. As you were talking I was, I was kind of thinking about your response to what, you know, your dad thought. And mm-hmm. I don't know if my dad listens to these. He's been on a few of these. Yeah. I, if I, if I was a betting man, like he was, he was very supportive of me leaving. Yeah. I think probably anybody that knew me could probably have seen that I was probably not in a good place, but uh, I think it is disappointing to him though. Mm. I think he, he, I don't know. I, I was the one that followed the footsteps kind of thing. And now I fucking make a podcast right. in my basement with a loser. <laughs> All right. So the next section, as we uh, wind down the podcast, I like to ask people if they have any paranormal experiences or <laughs> extraterrestrial experiences. I got to think being in the middle of Utah, you saw some fucking oh, weird yeah. shit. Yes. County deputy in the middle of nowhere in Utah. Oh, yeah. There's one that sticks out more than anything I can really recall. I mean, you always have those calls where you're there and you feel like you're being watched and there's no one there. You're like clearing a house and you feel like the presence of something there. But um, this one was, was crazy. So I actually don't remember if I've even told my coworkers about this. I think I might've told the Sergeant after I was out, but they might think I'm fucking nuts just saying this story, but I was patrolling one of the old county highways one night, probably about midnight, and it was the back route to get to Arizona and to Nevada. A lot of the kids would take it to go to Mesquite, go gamble, to go to Vegas. That's where you catch a lot of the DUIs, a lot of the, you know, 
drugs coming in and out. Um, and so I would always make a point to patrol that every night. And there was this cave that was on the side of the highway, literally right off the road. And kids would go in there, do drugs, have sex, do whatever kids do in like middle school, high school on a weekend. And so I'd always go there. (laughs) (laughs) So I always go hit my takedowns, you know, my alley lights, go look through that area, spotlight it, pull over and look through it, go do a little foot patrol or something. And I remember one night I would always drive the highway to the county line too. So I would go all the way down and I'd stop at that cave, both on the way out and back to go look at it. And I, I was going out one night. I stopped there, looked through the cave. It was empty, kept driving. It took about 10 minutes to get to the county line. I flip back around and come back. And as I'm coming back, I see a car parked on the pullout. And it's the best way I can describe it is like a Godfather car, like a 1930s, like black coupe, like with the, you know, the rounded top, rounded front. Yeah. And and the back window is completely shattered. The, I think it was the right passenger side rear tire. Yes. The the rear tire was, was gone. The wheel wasn't even there. It wasn't on like a center, but it was just the wheel well was empty. And the thing was covered in dust, like it had been out there for a good week or two. And I just drove past it without thinking because I had just gone past and didn't see anything. So I blew right past it and then kind of like looked in my rear view and saw it. And I was like, what the fuck? So I flip around and come back behind it, see it again, call it out. And I was like, all right, this is weird. Like I was just here 15, 20 minutes ago. This thing wasn't here. And it damn well didn't lose a tire and like get all this damage in the last 20 minutes. So I pull up behind it, you know, hit the takedown, set the spotlight, call it out to dispatch, said, hey, I'm out with some black sedan, you know, old 91 at mile marker 10 or whatever it was. And as I get out of my car, I've done this probably close to a thousand times at this point, pull up on suspicious vehicles, you know, in the county and do the whole thing, walk around the back of my truck, come up as I'm about to approach, pull my flashlight out. Before I turned my flashlight on, as I got right about to probably about my my engine block on my truck, I literally like stopped. Like something prevented me from walking forward anymore. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. Like I just, something on like a soul level was telling me like, don't fucking go up on this car. And I, I didn't. I didn't. Fucking put my shit back, got in my truck and and drove off. And I remembered what a guy had told me during his FTO or during my FTO. He'd asked me if I was a religious guy. I said, yeah, I grew up going to church and stuff. I believe in, in faith and all that stuff. And he's like, all right, cool. He's like, this is the best thing I'll tell you during your whole FTO with me. He's like, you're going to have maybe a handful of times in your career, maybe once, maybe twice, where you feel something telling you something subconsciously and he's like you better fucking listen to it because it might save your life and that's literally what i played back in my head when that happened and i I, yeah i mean who knows what what it was or what didn't happen or could have happened or who you know who knows but yeah i got in my car and left and the next morning i passed it down to the day shift officer i told her i was like hey i saw this sketchy car on you know, old 91 at this mile marker, if you wouldn't mind seeing if it's there, if it's still there, you could probably tag it, you know, in the daytime and 
uh, she texted me back like an hour later. She's like, I just drove by and there's nothing there, no tire tracks or anything. So I was like, all right, <laughs> cool. What the fuck? <laughs> That's fucking weird, man. That's yeah, so fucking that weird. was definitely the craziest one. I don't know how we follow that up. <laughs> let me ask you, good sir, in your humble opinion. Well, let me ask this first. I assume that being where you worked, all you guys drove were trucks. Um, we had some SUVs, okay. but yeah, most of it were the uh, the F one fifties. So no real police cars then. Yeah, no Vix. Okay. I know how much you love your Vix. I do love my Vix. Well, I was going to ask the next question. I was going to ask was, in your opinion, the best patrol car of all time? Charger, hundred percent. Uh, I love the chart. I mean, I. I love the VIX too, because we trained in the VIX. We do all our EVO training in VIX that are like decommissioned and just beat the shit. So we used to go up on the old airport runway in St. George and do like our pit training and stuff like that. So that was awesome getting a rally car, those fucking things once every quarter. But um, I just love the charger, man. Like I, that was the fastest I've ever driven in my life on a call was, I think I got up to like 162 on I-15 and that was just like such an out of body experience, and just I, I thought loved... you guys. I thought you said you guys only had the trucks and the SUVs, or did I mishear you? We we so we started. I had a charger when I first started because that's what they give the new guys in case they fucking crash them. They're the mm. old ones. So that was what I had my rookie year on day shift, and then after that we went to. Um, that was when the SUVs really started transitioning in, and then the the F one fifties is what we eventually switched to, but. But yeah, I had the charger for probably about, I don't know, six months. Okay. But I had the most fun in that thing. I mean, I it was awful for a county deputy car because I I was taking that thing into the shop once a month because I'd, you know, rip out the freaking guard on the bottom of it or something would come undone. And when I hit like a on the county road or I'd hit a pothole in like in some dirt road or something, but like pavement, that's by far my favorite cop car. Fair enough. All right. So here's here's the moment everybody's been waiting for. They don't really care about pop brownies or acting <laughs> or police careers or anything yeah. like that. Here's what they want to know. Have you, good sir, have you ever shit your pants as an adult? <laughs> what constitutes shitting the pants? Is there like a an amount? Or like I, a trust? Because I've had that happen. I, I would say, like, if it touches cloth, you're out. Now, <laughs> if we've any, any kind of markage, we've talked about skid marks occasionally. Like, maybe yeah. a skid mark doesn't count because maybe you didn't wipe very good, kind of thing. But I would, I would argue if it touches cloth, you're out. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm out then because I, uh, I'll be honest. Fuck it. I've been honest with everything to this point. Why, why stray now? I, um, I was at my, my place one time having some beers with my buddy <laughs> and he'll get a kick out of this when he hears this story because it's hilarious to him. But we were sitting on the couch watching TV, drinking some beers. And I had, you know, when you get like those farts that, you know, are going to be just fucking loud and epic. Oh yeah. And you know, like I got to build this one up, like let everyone know, like, dude, this one's going to be like, Hey, wait, quiet, quiet. Do you hear that? You know, one of those. Yeah had that happen and like the idiot i was i 
went full Nelson, lifted the legs up, like feet <laughs> back behind my ears. <laughs> and right as I felt it, coming fight, I squeezed as hard as I could, like exhaled everything. <laughs> it lived up to the hype. Like it was an epic fart. But then I realized, oh my God, I got to go to the fucking bathroom. <laughs> so I went in and sure enough, there was uh there was a little turtle head there. Oh man. You know, I, you gotta be careful. I mean, you gotta let them rip when they're ready to go, but if you put a little <laughs> extra effort in there, it can yeah, be problematic. It was the exhale. It was the exhale that got me. <laughs> That's what that fucking but, cracks yeah. me up. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it. The full Nelson getting everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's good storytelling. You should put that in oh, the script. Thanks. I'm sure I will someday. <laughs> well, buddy, we've uh we've come to the conclusion of this very poorly made police podcast. Do you have any words of wisdom for the young cops and young actors out there? I mean, honestly, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Words of wisdom. I don't know if you call it wisdom, because like I said, I'm I'm 29. I got a lot of life to live yet. But keeping on the theme, I would say just if you're ever involved in some shit that doesn't sit right with you, figure out what you got to do to make it right and just trust your gut. Just end of the day, all you can do is just look yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you see, whatever that means. So I would say just do what you think is right and stick to that. It might suck, but in the end, you'll end up where you're supposed to be as far as acting and anything else, I guess, in life. Just, Keep your nose to the grindstone. Just keep working hard, and eventually it'll uh, it'll present itself with opportunities, and and hopefully you'll find some success. If not, just have a fucking great time while you're doing it. Well, fucking said, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, taking a couple hours out of your busy LA lifestyle. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. The food's pretty good out there, right? Oh, food's amazing. I used to live across the street from a Korean barbecue house. Oh, nice. I haven't spent a lot of time in LA for various reasons. You know, I don't want to get beat up or mugged or walked or <laughs> shit, but um, there's, there's definitely some good food, food out that way. Well, with that said, okay. guys. But yeah, for sure. If you're ever down here, hit me up. I'll show you some good spots. Let's fucking do it. Uh, well, with that said, by the way, I may know somebody, you know what? We'll talk off air. Okay. But well, hey, you guys know what to do. Uh, take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast because without them, this would not be possible. You can be a monthly donor. Click the link at the end and uh, puts a little change in my pocket to help keep this thing going. And then, of course, merch. I got all kinds of T-shirts, mugs. Uh, I got some new coins and stuff that should be coming out fairly soon. So uh, with that said, remember, he's not a lefty. And I love most of you. Bye-bye. <laughs>